Welcome to No Challenges Remaining, our annual year-end men's tennis year in review episode with Ricky Diamond. Ricky, you just ran the Marine Corps Marathon once again in D.C. It's been a delight having you here in town. How are you feeling day after the marathon, after a personal best time? A plug for you. First of all, thanks for having me. Great to be back. Um, But yeah, ran my sixth Marine Corps Marathon on Sunday and got a time of three hours, 22 minutes, so my best time by three minutes. So it was good. I got a left hamstring cramp at mile 23, but luckily it went away pretty quickly. So uh, I was able to finish and do pretty well. So all in all, a success. Second time in a row beating Carolyn Wozniacki, too. It's at a high bar. Yes, barely, but... High bar for Canelo Znaki. Okay, so we're going to do this show fairly straightforward. We're going to talk about a lot of the top men who are in tennis these days, this year, and some people who are also outside that group we'll give brief mention to at the end. Uh, So kind of going through the top 17 guys, roughly in order of their live race rankings, so maybe not exactly what the rankings say currently, but close to it, as we are recording this on the first day of main draw play in Paris, Paris, where we just watched a wild uh, Tommy Paul win over Gasquet, which we can mention in a bit when we get to Tommy. It's been an interesting year in men's tennis, I was saying, as we started, I think, the top Five is actually pretty clear in terms of who I think is sort of in there in what order, but there's a bunch of interesting guys in the mix and a lot of guys who are who are doing well, who are below some guys who I think have had undeniably disappointing years at a lot of times. And so it's an interesting mix of like of, of rising and falling stocks and, and seeing where everything uh, lands right now. Some other guys we're not going to mention, but who had notably good years. I want to shout out some brief names. Arthur Feast, uh, Chris Eubanks, who made a Wimbledon quarterfinal, Talon Greekspor, who's been very solid and in, into the top 30, and uh, Arnaldi, Matteo Arnaldi. Uh, so some some good uh, some good names there as we get a mix a mix of youngsters and borderline veterans in there. Yeah, Eubanks would kind of a late bloomer, I think for sure. Yeah, yeah. Greek spore, medium medium late, not early certainly. Yeah, yeah. Let's get to these these guys. Uh, we just watched uh, today number seventeen on this list, Grigor Dimitrov. One of the most remarkable things about this group we're going to talk about today is the age range. So no one older than Dimitrov is ahead of him in the rankings except for Djokovic. Dimitrov is thirty two, I believe. And I think no one ahead of him is even older than 28. Like, it's there's this huge pack of guys. Like, basically everyone, except for Djokovic and Dimitrov, who we're going to talk about in this main section of the show today, was eligible or is eligible at some point still for, the, like, the next-gen concept, with the, which the ATP introduced to tour in, I think, 2017, around then. So people younger than, like, Dominic Thiem, who was older than that. Yeah, but Dimitrov is still playing well, and I think it just seems like a nice value-add and kind of an elder statesman in his own way, and it's kind of... Fun seeing him in that role because he was obviously his nickname was Baby. So seeing him as one of the older guys is nice. And I think he just remains a very like solid value add presence on the tour. And I've said on the show before, and I said it while we were watching them today, like yeah. if he could like I don't want to say fluke, but by definitions of current ATP tennis, it would be a fluke. If he could like chance into a deep slam run, maybe a slam title, I would just think it would be so such a popular thing. And, oh, yeah. and just some some big signature result for him to kind of hang his hat on in this last stage of his later stage of his career um would be excellent I, yeah i, I think, just think he's a great citizen of the tour I, I would definitely be down for that and i think most of like the hp fans would too like especially later on his career like he's always been likable but i feel like he's like even more likable now because he sort of like used to be like a relative like bad boy back when he was like super young now he's like you know just good guy good player fun to watch and there's no one who's like saying anymore like oh he's overhyped or whatever like, he's kind of like lived right, through yeah. this whole life cycle of being a prodigy on tour yeah. right? and come out the other side as like a well-adjusted former child star in some ways, which right. is kind of a precious thing in public life. And his but, game is still good. Like he's had some good results this fall and, and yeah. he's, it's very solid. I mean, 17, I think he's even higher than that in the ELO rankings, which are on tennis abstract, which are, you know, people know those kind of a power ranking kind of thing. He's eighth 
overall. Yeah. So like he's had a great great year, Grigor. And he's been so like consistent, like much yeah. more consistent. Like I would have to look it up, but I think he's won multiple matches at like seven of his last eight tournaments. So like he's never losing early to opponents that he shouldn't lose to. Yeah. Like just very consistent. Just so. a constant pro, really well-liked, popular guy, very nice to everybody in tennis, and sort of an yeah, old-school guy in a, in a bunch of ways, in this very new-school demographic, like I said, everybody except for <laughs> Djokovic, we'll get to at the end, right. uh, is, is, is older than him, so uh, or younger than him, excuse me, so uh, yeah, so he's he's there, and I think just a, a nice value person who we want to add, even if it makes it a less round number to 17, instead of maybe the more natural 16, <laughs> number 16 is a guy who's much, much newer on tour, Van Grieger Dimitrov, number 16, in this list is Ben Shelton, who actually is going to slip to number four in the American ladder. I did a podcast late last year with Alex Gruskin of Cracked Rackets, and we predicted our top 10 uh, ladder for the Americans, which I know you and I used to do for many years. Did, and yeah. I had I took a big swing on Shelton and had him going all the way to number three in the American ladder. He's just barely missing that, going to slip to number four after losing, I think, some challenger points in these next few weeks because uh, he had a big run at the challengers last year. So Shelton is going to finish number four behind Tiafo, and he has had a kind of a sandwich of a year. Like, he had a great start in the Australian Open, making quarters there. Took advantage of an open draw, for sure, but it was inexperienced and still took advantage of that very well. And then did kind of nothing of note, really, until the U.S. Open. Took a bunch of early losses. And then at the U.S. Open, he tore his way into the semifinals with great wins over Tommy Paul and Francis Tiafo. He and likes the big stage. He likes the big <laughs> stage. Aussie Open, U.S. Open, nothing in between. For sure. And then he's then 0-2 at the end of this year in the, in the indoors. That's right, he, I should add that he won Tokyo. Biggest title of his career so far. And beat Sinner in Shanghai. Yeah, beat Sinner. So good, and, good Asian swing. Exactly. So very good Asian swing. And they went 0-2 in the European swing to end on a little bit of a down note. He's one of the guys who's undeniably has to be completely satisfied with his year, just on pure numbers. Like going, again, even if I was very, and I know some other sort of tennis nerds were really drunk on the Shelton Kool-Aid late last year, and he was still like a hidden thing. I feel happy with that decision. No hangover from that from that drunkenness. Um, <laughs> but, but he's uh, he's delivered, and he's become sort of this big you know figure on tour in the, in the whole, I feel like the whole... Celebration. Phone, phone celebration that I'm miming for those of you watching on the visual version of the podcast, which doesn't exist. Uh, <laughs> hanging up the phone celebration, uh, which obviously Djokovic took some uh, note of and, 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 and parodied in his own way that people can decide if that was warm or mean-spirited. Uh, I know Shelton's dad was not thrilled with that. Yeah, it, it's a, it's, he's, just, he's just showed up as a, being a, a real star potential kind of guy and, and really, yeah, exactly what the tour kind of needs, especially having yeah. an American in the mix. So I think can do big things. What do you see from one thing we want to talk about for a lot of these players is what you see for them next year, potentially. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, mean Shelton I'm, I'm, could be kind of a sophomore slump. I would put warning on that maybe because people are going to know him better this time around. He won't like surprise run to yeah. the Australia quarters again, but the game is, is there and his left oh, yeah. power is I, so, I, it's so hard to argue with. Yeah. I'm, I'm big on Shelton. I really have been like, since, I mean, I saw him playing college a few times since I'm a pretty big college tennis fan. saw him play in Orlando and the NCAAs, but yeah, I've, I've always loved him and his game. Just, I mean, that serve lefty and close to 150 miles an hour when he wants to bring it is he can take the racket out of pretty much anyone's hands uh, so yeah I, I i agree like sophomore slump potentially it to the extent that like maybe he'll like finish in the 20s but i think of all the americans i think he has the best chance to win a slam in the future just i agree know, with that. his talent level i agree with that yeah everybody's all-time career long slam odds i think he's the best now he was saying he's having some arm or shoulders, something difficulties with the balls. The balls have been a big talking point this year. I don't want to get too into that because I don't know too much about that, honestly, and I don't know how much the players know. I, they do know that the balls are changing in terms of, in terms of brand and model of ball yeah. week in, week out, which is not ideal in 
be great if there could be a, a uniform ball just to take that x factor out of the equation especially in, you know for something like european indoors which is all kind of similar to have one indoor ball feels like a doable thing for the tour but hasn't been done clearly with all the separate uh, endorsement deals and how many different manufacturers of balls there are who want to try to get a piece of the pie on the tour level and use that for their marketing yeah and things like before that. his match today he basically went on social media and like told people bet against me like <laughs> I'm feeling it with my arm, like these balls I, I don't like. And then, of course, yeah. he goes out and loses to Davidovich. Yeah. So he, he mentioned Next Gen at the start of this. He is currently in Next Gen eligibility. Uh, Next Gen is in an odd place in the calendar. It's, it's much later than usual. It's well after the World Tour Finals. It's going to be held in Jeddah in Saudi Arabia this time. It's the first of the real sort of tennis moves of the tour level, or the tour events, rather, ATP and WTA events, which have been much talked about, going to Saudi Arabia. Should Will Shelton go? I would say I would think he would go if it was like next week. Yeah. But if it, mid, that's like middle of the off season, right? right. He's gonna be, November. He's gonna be, even if he plays Sophia, like he's gonna be back in the United States for like multiple weeks, so it's tough to justify like going back to Saudi Arabia and playing a tournament where you don't get like ranking points or anything. Yeah, and he doesn't need the money. I'm sure he's getting. I'm sure he wants to peak for Australia. So but yeah, if it was like the normal time of the calendar, I think it, was, it would have been a tournament that Shelton loves to play because of like. A lot of eyeballs on it like it's a tournament where you can show your personality like i think they they probably still do that like you know mid-match like interviews with, mm-hmm. the, with the headsets like i think that tournament would normally be right up his alley but I agree. when it's late november you know he probably wants to be hanging out at home and doing stuff yeah let's get to the next guy uh we got a lot of guys to go through here francis tiafo who shelton beat memorably in that quarter final of the u.s open tiafo is going to finish just ahead of shelton we think unless there's a big change late here he has not been so good in the end of this year he finished one in six in completed matches uh since his us open loss not giving credit for the win he had where uh dan evans you know hurt his leg up four one yeah. uh only win in that stretch was against malfeast for for tiafo but he did break into the top 10 this year which was a goal for him he got into the top 10 from the middle of the year i think right around when he won stuttgart uh on grass for his first grass title so not a totally lost year for him but he would have wanted more and i think his slam results have been disappointing he was very flat in that match against Shelton. I mean, he really yeah. let Shelton kind of own that stage in that moment in a way that was striking to me. And we actually just watched one thing we might mention a few times. We, You and I had not seen the second half of Breakpoint Netflix documentary series on tennis in 2022 seasons. We watched the second half of that, which included a Tiafo episode at the U.S. Open. And 2022 U.S. Open, he, he had a sh- real shot there. I mean, like, not that he was right. a favorite against Alcaraz in that semi, but he came close and... That was, a, that was a moment. Would have had a great chance against Rude in the final. Yeah. It would have been the underdog, but would have had a very good chance. Yeah. But definitely crowd favorite. I mean, huge yeah. crowd favorite against Rude, who does not like a electrifying guy. And not saying that as an insult. Um, yeah, but Tiafo in the ELO rankings is number 22, so he's not been great. Uh, yeah, I'm curious what, what next year brings for him. I think there has to be some sort of reset. I don't know if he just is exhausted. Because he, the thing with Tiafo in the U.S. Open, too, is he was such a celebrity at the U.S. Open this year, especially. I think Tumani and I talked about this, like the number of, of NBA players and other celebrities who were coming out specifically for Tiafo. Tiafo was, in a lot of ways, like the biggest star in the men's tournament at that tournament this year, more than Djokovic and Alcaraz even, I think. And so, yeah, I'm, that could have taken a toll. Maybe he just needs some time to rest and yeah, recuperate well, he, and reset. He said after the, the Australian Open, I mean, after the U.S. Open, like going into the fall swing tournaments, he was like, nothing matters like other than the U.S. Open. And he basically yeah. admitted that he was emotionally done after that tournament, so going one and six in his last seven matches isn't that surprising. Yeah, not surprising, but you kind of wish if he was that flat that he could just pull out, which I don't think anyone would have begrudged Oh, yeah. Him. Yeah. I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm not saying, like, it's good that he's, like, quote-unquote, like, mailed it in for the rest of yeah. the season, but uh, it's not to the extent that, like, I'm concerned that this is going to impact, like, his 2024. Like, I think the real GFO will be back, you know, 
we start 2024 with a huge tournament at the Aussie Open. So, and they you know, love he'll him be there. back in action. He is such a big star in Australia. He's yeah. like all over the posters. He always he, does pretty yeah, well there. He does well there, and they love him. They really like Tiafo a lot in Australia. Uh, so he'll be someone, yeah, who's going to be in those top 16 seeds, we imagine, mm-hmm. and and someone to watch there. Yeah, so let's move on next to someone else who did well in Australia this year, Karen Kachanoff, who started off with a semifinal in Australia. He also had made semis in the U.S. Open before to get back-to-back semis, and they made another semi of a, uh, sorry, quarter, rather, of a slam in Paris this year where he lost to Djokovic. So really good slam results for Hatchinoff. Pretty under the radar, not someone who gets talked about. He's a guy you never think about. Yeah, like, much at all. Like... And then he missed, then he got hurt uh, at an injury after the French Open, missed the entire grass season, did not play until the U.S. Open, where he lost to Michael Moe in round one. Michael Moe has several wins over players. We're going to discuss this this episode, by the way, even um, though he's currently, I think, outside top 100. Um but Hachinov's been good when healthy. He won Zhuhai in the fall, and he had a good loss, a uh, good tight loss to uh, Medvedev in Vienna in the semis, I believe, there. So he's been someone who I think is in the mix. He's getting older. He's one of the older of these guys who's left. I think he's t- about 27, 28. I think he's in the range to be a sort of fringe top 10 guy again. I think he can maintain this altitude of being a solidly top 20 kind of guy for, you know, top 15, top 20 kind of guy for, for Especially a while. since he's so good at majors. Like, he doesn't yeah. have to... He doesn't have to produce like a whole bunch of consistent results the entire year if he continues to reach the quarters and even semis and slams like nonstop. So, do you think he's a level up he can go? Do you think he can like be someone who's gonna make make it to a slam final someday? I mean, with this many, with a few in, semis, he should be in the conversation. Yeah, I mean, in the post Djokovic era when things are gonna be pretty open, he definitely has a chance. I, he wouldn't be like at the top of my list just because like he has a big forehand and a pretty big serve, but. Other than that, not, like, humongous weapons. Yeah. So he's not, like, at the top of my list for, like, going to a slam final, but certainly can't discount him. There's a lot of guys who have picked over him in late yeah. round slam matches, for sure. Yeah. And he has won some of those. He had surprised some of those. Like, Kyrgios was a big win for him at the US Open last year when Kyrgios was the guy and arguably kind of the favorite to win that tournament once he beat Medvedev. You know, Djokovic wasn't there at the US Open last year, um, but that was a big win for, for Hachinov there. Uh, yeah, so I think he's going to stick around this altitude for a while. Someone else who's soaring a lot this year, uh, Alex Dimonar. Very different kind of game. Kind of a featherweight kind of looking player in a lot of ways on court. But uh, a lot of pop, and he reached a career high number 11 earlier this month. Started his year well. He beat Nadal United Cup in Sydney, which is a big, that's his hometown. And a big, or his Australian hometown anyway. And a big moment for him. Uh, he made finals at Queens Club and Canada and Los Cabos in the summer. So he strung up a lot of big results without too many trophies. And I believe he won Acapulco also this year. So, yeah, I think it'd be TP. Yeah, like a ridiculous wild match. Exactly. <laughs> and today he finished a 4-0 sweep of Andy Murray <laughs> this year, bidding him in, on uh, clay, grass, hard, and indoor hard. Um, six top 10 wins this year, starting with Nadal. He was 24 to start the year. Hype could be high for him in Australia as he's uh, sort of coming in with some momentum to that tournament. What do you think of him? And, and again, like I feel like this is kind of... And he's the thing with Demon Art is I feel like his personality and his looks, he's very young looking, he's very boyish looking face. And then people think he's a lot smaller than he is. He's he's over six feet tall, Demon. Um, but he kind of plays it's like Schwartzman kind of energy right. out there. Yeah. What do you, but what do you think his, his upside is? Because there's still been times in his career, and early in his career especially, where he would play a match and he would just look like he was just like he would get blown out in a very specific <laughs> Demon Art way. Yeah. You know, where he would just like he'd play Nadal or somebody and look like a boy against a man. Yeah. Basically. But this Nadal win, I think, was really big for him to start his year, even if Nadal was not one, in one of the, his best. One of the biggest beatdowns I've ever seen, very random match, was like Carreño Busta at Demonar at the French Open, mm. I think in 2019. Like, 
PCB like wiped him off the floor like one two and one or something yeah I remember who was it else it was it I think it was Sinner at the Australian Open once killed him too yeah. and Labor like he has this ability to kind of take these hard losses but yeah. the upside's big the 4-0 against Murray is crazy you watched that match can you tell us first about what is going on with Andy Murray and we'll get to Murray separately in a little bit today's match you mean today's match and yeah. this whole sort of rivalry they yeah. have and it's like right. for Demon, it's not much of a rivalry right. yeah what you think for Demon it's upside is for, for 2024 yeah 6-0 against Murray 7-0 if you count a walkover Unreal. And back-to-back, trailing 5-2 in the third set. One was a single break, and then today was a double break. So if he just got to play Andy Murray every match, he'd be he'd be top five. I, I've always loved Demon. He's won Atlanta twice, which is my home tournament. And he's, you know, all-around good guy by all accounts. But yeah, like we said, just not a ton of firepower. He plays a defensive game style. It's kind yeah, of a So, yeah. like, he's not, like, in the mix to win a slam, really. I think... He's like a guy you don't want to play just because he makes you work for every point. But, yeah, he's not, like, in that mix to, to win a slam in the post-Joker era. Yeah, you think, like, when the best are at their best, he's not going to be in that mix, right? But but he can right. still take that, advantage of guys. And, and the slam results haven't been huge from this year. He's not made a big slam run. Yeah. But but he, yeah, is certainly good at someone being who can be great at the 500. He's made his first Masters final, I believe, this year in Canada. I think that was his first time making a final for Masters. He's, um, he's one of those guys that... Like yeah. when you play well, like you said, you can you can blow him out because you have more firepower than him. And then when you don't play well, like you have no chance because yeah. he's going to force you into a ton of unforced errors. And I think there are just too many guys right now who are generally playing well and are always going to be favored against him at slams. Yeah, definitely agree. And there are some people, you know, people who are the bigger hitters who can go off your like Rublevs and your sinners, maybe let's say, who right. I think on the right day. In like a fourth round of a slam, Demon could be a problem. Yeah. But generally, yeah, people are at their best. I don't think he's, again, his biggest punches are not the biggest. Uh, similar kind of player in a lot of ways, Tommy Paul. The match today we just watched before recording this. Uh, that, was, was, that was even more wild than Demon Murray. It was much more wild. It was both terrible and amazing <laughs> at the same time. Uh, Tommy Paul gets bageled in the first set, six love to Richard Gasquet, who's playing from a home crowd in Bercy, which the crowd was going nuts. It was a huge part of this match. And then. Gasquet was bad, and, and, and Tommy was running away with it. He was up 6-2. He won the first, second set 6-2. Third set, he was up 5-2. Uh, and then Gasquet came running back. Paul hit a bunch of, like, kind of timid approach shots, and Gasquet was lacing winners past him for passing shot winners at will for a while there, getting the crowd back into it. Uh, Tommy won in the end after trailing 3-6 in the tie break. <laughs> Richard uh, Deaton double fault at 6-5 oh for God, Gasquet. Terrible on deep double fault by Gasquet at the end uh, when he had match point on his racket. So... You know, I think that um, he's a guy who I was, I sort of compared to like American being the American equivalent of like a Cranio Busta or a, or a, or a Batista Agut. Like these kind of like very workman, like we think of Spanish players who are really fast and not that, not that Batista's blindingly fast, but you know, guys who are just like super solid pros. And this is such a. And doesn't make like many headlines. Doesn't make many headlines. PCB and also, and RCB. And, exactly. So, yeah. and, and just sort of just kind of takes care of business and is a pro. And that's a big achievement for Tommy, honestly. So totally no backhandedness to that because, like, early in his career, he was seen as very erratic, kind of like a party boy with his reputation and not, you know, not the most reliable pro. But now he's become the most, like, bankable, like, steady, hard-out pro, like, you know, very lunch-pale kind of workman, like whatever kind of player you describe some, you know, non-moneyball kind of baseball player with. But, like, he's he's good value there and he's he's... Coming into the top ten, he's going to be the number two American this year, ahead of Tiafo, which I would not have thought. Um, and he's, yeah, he's been really solid. The Australian Open semi was a great chance for him to maximize that result. Again, kind of like Demon, 
where he takes care of business and then you get you put him in a matchup with Djokovic and you're like there's no there's no pattern in this match that works for Tommy Paul there was nothing going to work for Tommy Paul in that match because he does everything Djokovic does just not as well and which like applies to many people but still like you know he's he's had a great great year he beat Rafa in Bercy last year and Rafa was in his stretch of losing to like every American on the face of the earth it seemed like for a while there he was ranked 31 when he won that match in Bercy last year so for him to get to edge of top 10 is pretty great. Uh, semis of Australia, semis of Canada. Uh, he's only two and seven against the top ten uh, this year, but he is a tormentor of Carlos Alcaraz. They played some great matches. He's sort of the center alternative for the earlier round possibility. Um, and yeah, I think he's just been a, a, a pleasant surprise for me in a lot of ways on tour this yeah. year. And he's fun to watch because like he's an amazing athlete, but he also doesn't have like a ton of weapons, so he plays long rallies and like the Alcaraz matches, the TP Alcaraz matches, were some of those the most fun ones of the whole year yeah i mean probably only hardcore tennis fans watched them because they weren't slams but but they were like damn good tennis matches definitely yeah exactly i think he's a lot like demon in that way where he's gonna be making things tough for guys away from the spotlight sometimes in the bigger high voltage matches where the big guns are 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 firing at their at their maximum caliber uh to use more firearms analogies he's uh he's gonna have a tough time keeping up sometimes and hanging out we saw that with shelton at the us Open this year he was uh he was kind of paul was like a pretty big favorite and then shelton just served him off the court exactly so can he push do you think he can get into top 10 or is this i mean the tough thing is he has the australia points coming off soon potentially 700 whatever points for making the semis there so i don't know but but it's already a great career even just this year for time paul i would like i think i think top 10 is doable i mean obviously he's already pretty close yeah and top five i would i would say no just because of the firepower issue but yeah i think top 10 and you know one good result plus that could sneak him into the yeah you know world tour finals next year and it also depends for tommy just because there's limited spaces there's only 10 spaces in the top 10 for those of you who don't know and some of the guys who are in those spaces are kind of wobbling right now. So I think it matters how much those guys either correct themselves and regain their balance yeah. or how much they keep falling. And if they keep falling, then someone like Tommy will be there to potentially Yeah, like you in. said right now, there's like only five guys who have had like really good years and yeah. have separated themselves. So yeah. like six through the rest of the way is pretty open. Let's talk about one of those guys who has not had a great year, Casper Ruud. Casper uh, Ruud uh, made the French Open final. Remarkably his third Grand Slam final, which is an outrageously high stat in this era Lots of great players have not made three slam finals. I and mean, basically the only other guy, you know, born in the 90s or later who's done it is uh, Medvedev. And everyone else has not come near that. And Sitsipas has two now, but most people, fewer than that. I guess team has made, sorry, team has made a bunch too. But, um, but he's older than this. Uh, he's in his 30s now. Casper, you know, I feel like a lot of people think it's kind of regressing to where he should be. I think in certain ways the 2022 feels like overachieving. Uh, taking advantage of the moment and being again a pro and just like so solid and at the same time solid and inconsistent like he but the thing is i feel like casper would always kind of telegraph like where he's going to be good and not like you always know he's going to flop at wimbledon and you don't no, think his heart's really in wimbledon like this year he lost there to liam brody pretty meekly uh before that last year i forget who he lost to but it was pretty meek also after a french open final run he didn't like train on grass much it seemed like at all before that so I feel like, but when he shows up, he's mostly doing okay, although he had a not-great loss at the U.S. Open this year also. Part of it maybe just getting comfortable. He is kind of a big celebrity uh, in Norway, certainly, which is a, a you know prosperous country. In Scandinavia, he's the biggest tennis player they've had in a long time in Scandinavia since probably bigger than Soderling, I guess. He would probably, or arguably bigger than Soderling, and then so it would go to someone like, uh, gosh, I don't know, like Valander or somebody, whoever would be before that. Yeah. So so he's a big celebrity there. He does a lot of photo shoots. He's almost like a, I mean, it's like a low-key Scandinavian Berrettini. <laughs> he's becoming not not quite the international model status of Berrettini. 
but I do think it's an interesting sort of factor that like he could just be getting comfortable and the hunger might not be what it was for for Casper you know to have already gotten to number two to have been close to number one I mean he was in within two sets of the number one ranking yeah in that US Open final again for someone who yeah we kind of think is is hovering now in like the the high or you know in the high double digits sort of you know 11 12 13 whatever he's at right now and that feels kind of right for Casper but he was so close to number one so he has that in him uh, yeah. Where does he go from here? I, I generally, I think he's one of the toughest players to sort of. I think I think if you if he got back into the top five next year, let's say, I wouldn't be shocked. Right. But I also would not be shocked if he was, you know, thirtieth. Yeah. Like he's he's had a disappointing year by his twenty twenty two standards. Right. But like by no other standards, you can't no. accept twenty twenty two Casper standards as the norm. Yeah. He he sort of like you said earlier, he's regressed back to like what the norm should be, sort of like. Cameron Norrie is you and I were talking about earlier. Yeah. Like these are guys who have had disappointing years, but based on only standards that were unrealistic to continue. Yeah. So I feel like Rude is an eight to 10 guy in general. I feel like that's something that players often struggle with, or sometimes maybe they do and don't, but like sometimes players think they should always be their best. Like what they ever like peaked at is what they're worthy of and deserve, but it's not always like that. Right. I remember one time seeing a quote from, I think it was Anastasia Mesquina who you don't remember her, which is kind of the point of the story. Uh, she won the French Open when she was ranked like seven or six and she got to number two in the world. And, but it was kind of during this like transition period in a lot of ways. Um, she was, just, you know, a solid lower end of top 10 player, but she had some interview when she was like unseated or something roughly there, which I saw from her. She was like, I want to get back to being the number two player in the world. I know I can be. It was like, a lot of things had to come together for you to hit number two. There was a like, perfect storm of things that happened. That was not your actual realistic cruising altitude in any way, Mesquina. So Rude, kind of the same way. Oh, he's not talking. I'm not saying that he's quoted like that. But yeah, um, I think he's, uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure where he goes, but I think he's, yeah, kind of just returned to the norm in a lot of ways. Yeah. And, the, and the makes 2022 all the more remarkable what he did. And just, again, three semifinals. No, never take that away from him. The first pitch of the Blue Jays game. I thought it was very solid, and that's also great. Got to respect yeah, it. Got to respect that. And the <laughs> thing about Root is, like, the clay court season is uh, so long. Yeah. So many Masters, 1000s. Like, he's not a clay court specialist, quote-unquote, but he does very well on clay. So, like, if he if he gets hot at the right times on clay, there's a lot of points out there for him to get, especially in the sort of post-Nadal yeah. era that we're in. But post-Nadal being the dominant Right. Win all, I think we're I think we're comfortable in that era. Probably we'll get to know all at the end. Yeah, but I do think that it would be nice to see Casper at least get a thousand title on clay. He hasn't. I don't, he, he's even made many finals. Even I don't think at Masters events yet. No. So he's a he's, more, a, he's a Grand Slam guy. He's a Grand Slam guy. So that's remarkable. Yeah. So interesting to see where he he goes. But I think he's again someone who, yeah, is is kind of. I don't get the sense that he's like leaving a lot on the table per se. I think he's just kind of coming back down to earth. And yeah. sometimes sometimes it's been disappointing. You know, like certainly the Jensen Brooksby uh, loss in Australia was like come on dude you're like number two seed here like you gotta be better than this you gotta be something's gotta kick into you into gear for you to to get going in this match um but he also i think played a bunch of exos in the offseason maybe that's oh yeah exos, that was the, I mean, the exos, exos in the offseason were big the doll. well the exos in the offseason actually are a huge kind of story i think it underrated story for 2023 season because you look at the guys who played a lot of them rude curios nadal uh Cameron Nori even. Yeah. They all had disappointing 2023s, and so cautionary tale. Although Nori came out like gangbusters this year. Well, that's true. Yeah. But, I, but I don't know who's coming. But I'm just saying, it's something to, yeah. for guys who are taking checks, and they're big checks, and it's tough to argue with some of them, you know, especially when you don't know how long your career will be. It's hard to begrudge Casper like some sudden okay. check that arrives to play for a million dollars. Especially like, like going around the world with yeah. his idol Nadal. Like, yeah. <laughs> of course he's going to take that. I don't that. begrudge that. For Nadal, different conversation maybe. Maybe yeah. Nadal should have, if he was health-wise shaky. Who knows? Um, Nadal obviously had one of the most disappointing years of anybody because he didn't play much yeah. at all. 
Don't get to know doll. Another guy who used he wrote has had a quote typical Hercatch here. It's Hercatch, Hubert Hercatch, Hubie, uh, who had his uh, second Masters title of his career. He won Miami previously. This time he won Shanghai, uh, and then Porfir Horn says at Slams. And you point out here that he won, or sorry, he played six consecutive five setters at Slams. Uh, from the second round of the Australian Open to the third round of that's, the, of the French Open. With losses to Corda and uh, Juan Pablo Varias in there. I think with, I was talking about this again, not pure, not on game style really at all, but just in terms of career arc. I think Hercatch, to me, has a lot of upside still. The fit, Just the, the specimen yeah. physically he is, being yeah. a big, strong guy, hitting the ball well. I thought he could have beaten, really, he could have beaten Djokovic in those Wimbledon He should have won each, each of the first two tiebreakers. Yeah, so he had chances in that match, but the mental side's not quite there. If he gets it no, to click, absolutely not. If he gets it to click at the slams, I think he can have like a sort of Chilich or Vavrinka kind of upside at slams, easily. And I think he's I, he's someone who, if you know, we do a lot of over-unders. It's like our punchline. Over-under 0.5 slams in the career of Hubert Hercatch, like I'd be tempted to take over. Like Probably. I just think he's I think he's good enough that he, in a way that I don't talk about Casper Ruud, for example, with with or or Neiman or Tommy Paul, those kind of previous guys we mentioned, I think Hubie is in that kind of potential heavyweight weight class where like if everything's punching, yeah. he can swing with the big dogs yeah. and be he's, there. He's also I think the best defensive player out of the like quote unquote tall guys. Mm. You know, like six four and above. Like Hubie is an awesome athlete. Yeah. Like, and he'll make like crazy like turn defense into offense like better than any of those like six four, six five, six six guys. So he's got all the tools, and then obviously his serve, everyone knows. I was looking at the ace count for the year earlier, and Hercatch has like a 200 ace lead on like the second place Oh, he's in first place? Yeah. Mm, first place with like 200 to spare. I guess that's what happened when Isner's gone and Opelka didn't play, right. but yeah. yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it's like Fritz second like yeah. by a wide margin. Yeah, not a lot of huge servers uh, in the tour right now in terms of free points. These so times. he can, he can take the racket out of guys, hands. Not a lot of big and, servers yeah. in here, really. And he's good on every serve. Hercatch is good on every service. Yeah, so at sure. every single slam, he's going to have a chance. I mean, I don't think he's going to win the French Open, but like he's going to be in the mix everywhere. Yeah. One guy who started the year well we're going to get to next is Taylor Fritz, who had a good start to the year. Uh, you're here in, in seven of his first eight tournaments to reach at least the quarters. Uh, only exception was a big one, Australian Open, where he lost to Alex Alexei Popperin. In the second round, and Popper and Pop I watched that match. Pop just treed in that match. Yeah. That was like one of those where obviously, like he's a wild card, and Fritz is coming off his best year and it's top five ish, I think, and then should be winning that match anyway. But it's, Popper and it's just not balled. easy to play Australians in Australia. No, when they're on fire. <laughs> yeah. Like so, that was like one that I don't even discount. But he's been he just fades a lot of times, especially late in this season. He's lost three consecutive third set tie breaks to opponents he should not be losing to. Uh, Shevchenko most recently, then Mochizuki in. In Tokyo, who we're a big fan of, uh, Tommy, you know, Tamani obviously adapted him early, and Diego Schwartzman has had a rough year. All those matches, I think he was up in the third sets, and uh, yeah, he he's interesting, you know, just in terms of performance, and he's someone I I I don't I don't have the same reaction to him that I just had a, for the bullions for her catch. Taylor, like, I watch him, and it's all still sort of like, and the one thing he's like a great ball striker in a lot of ways, and I like watching him play, but their time like. He's not a great athlete. Yeah. Like he's he's one of the maybe least athletic players to be ever in the ATP top five. I said it's a compliment to him in a way that like there are certain players who are just not the most coordinated looking obvious players. And even like like Sharapova got this sometimes. Like who is just not like the most clearly graceful, classically you know whatever person. Like the way people talk about Sinner and his like skiing, moving and stuff. Like Fritz is not that. Fritz is <laughs> yeah. kind of a bit more all over the place and makes it work. Largely, but sometimes it hasn't worked at slams. The slam results have still really been not good at all in his career, largely. Um, 
Brandon Holt, as we saw on Breakpoint oh, yeah. earlier today. And I do think <laughs> that was that was twenty twenty two. The Brandon Holt, yeah, the Brandon Holt loss. I feel like is one of those things where I hope the American men are like appreciative of how we don't cover tennis in this country like they do in a lot of other countries. Yeah, and because in any other country that would be like such like a red letter, you know, like headlines of like what a disgrace but we kind of let it, it kind of snuck away that day at the yeah. US Open obviously Netflix highlighted it he's a Netflix star we watched the Netflix show he's not the, I don't know if he's the best part of the Netflix show honestly but they should have focused more on Morgan than on Taylor Morgan <laughs> I thought Morgan would be a big part of the show too and I don't think they used Morgan particularly well in right. the show like I thought actually what they did with Tiapo's girlfriend was more interesting the way they had her yeah, yeah, maybe she sure. was just yeah. more delivering I don't know there was a couple of scenes with Fritz that felt pretty forced but they may have learned their lesson she might be a good part of 2023 based on all the cameras I saw around her at the US <laughs> Open so it was funny I saw her share a, 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 a headline of the story on her Insta story a few weeks ago which I thought was audacious. It was like the great uh, wags of, you know, basically wife and girlfriend of, of athletes of all time. And it was, or, you know, great ones to know. And it was three people in, in this, you know, header photo of the story. It was uh, David Beckham and, and Posh Spice. It was Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift. And then it was Morgan and Taylor Fritz. And I was like, you know, you're not quite in this league not, not by any stretch, <laughs> by any stretch at all. But I admire the chutzpah to think that you can be. So, if, and I, yeah, but I, I, if, I, I think I said this before, I supported all of her sort of make tennis cool stuff and, and, and the influencer thing. And she did a podcast, I think, Hold On To Your Racket. She did a, a guest spot on there last year. And I thought that was interesting and cool and a very different sort of, like she's a very different person to have in tennis. And so getting her, her voice in there in some interesting ways. Oh, I, if, I if, Taylor, if Taylor could somehow win a slam, that would be good for the Morgan brand. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> that is true. Um, yeah, let's go to Holger Runa, who's next in this list. We're doing this just basically by rankings, not totally thematic, but he does thematically fit in more with a Casper Ruud kind of, although he's in his own journey. He's maybe more with Sitsipas, who's going to come later. Uh, Runa had a great start to the year. He won one of the craziest matches of the year. I don't know if you saw, but I watched it. was fantastic. Rublev? No. In Australia, you mean? He I mean, he's had tons. Well, no. yeah, Rublev in Australia no, was but the, the one, roller coaster. The, the, crazy, the craziest match of the Bodic? year for me, ATP, was Bodic uh, in the yeah, Munich final. Yeah, Bodic, this never, match Bodic was, never recovered. No, Bodic, as known to NCR listeners as Bob Van Dislap, Bodic Van Dislap. Yeah, that was a crazy, crazy match. Runa is almost certainly getting into to turn unless something crazy happens this week, but he's in eighth spot. He's in the bottom spot now of the, of the likely qualifiers, despite having just been awful post-Wimbledon. Yeah. The If you run the notes, which is completely correct, he has the Davidovich Fokina underarm serve and yeah. a thank if he winds up qualifying. And that was, I'd forgotten. Because that, that was in the, shocking. that was in the third round. Yeah. And then he ended, he beat Made Dimitrov quarters. in the fourth. So he got quarterfinal points at Wimbledon. Yeah. And assuming he doesn't do much in Paris, which he probably won't based on his current form, he's going to, he's going to qualify for, for Turin probably by like a hundred points or so over yeah, like Kerkach and Fritz. So if he hadn't got to quarters of Wimbledon, he would not be there. Totally. So after Wimbledon, he lost to uh, Marcos Giron, Mackie McDonald, Carballes Baina, Montero, and then he beat Felix, who's had a rough year. We'll get to Felix in a bit, and then lost to Grigor and Nakashima Kekmanovic. Like it's been rough. And they had a, decent a lot of them bounce. were blowouts. Too. Yeah, like, and Nakashima he, killed him. Yeah, which is just what. Yeah, Nakashima's not Nakashima's top hundred right playing now. Horrible. Yeah. So you know, Runa is is not playing a really top twenty caliber tennis, but he's might get into into in the short term he's not been playing that way but he might get in he has a certain like i love that munich match from him because like he has this certain kind of like inevitability about him that he just you don't really you get the sense that and he, and a little bit in the in a crazier way in the davidovich match too but like he has this sort of swagger on court where you kind of think he's always kind of in control of matches sometimes or i used to think that with him and then and he can kind of manifest things and believe his self-belief is so high and he has so much self-belief and 
And I'm curious to see how he gets that back. He has this interesting new partnership with Boris Becker, who's back on tour after his uh, prison stint. And he has an interesting match for him because I do think that Becker is best as being sort of like a confidence player, you know, sort of mindset guy. And I think Holger's still a developing player. He's just still so young. I mean, he, yeah. we know Becker as a coach from his time with Djokovic, and Djokovic was already an established many, many time Grand Slam champ, although he won a lot with Becker, too. I mean, he was in nowhere near his current total before Becker showed up. Yeah, but I'm curious to see how that pattern, how that works out, if that lasts. I know the, the Holger team has been, is kind of volatile a lot of times. It's not, not a not a smooth ride with Holger a lot of times. So I'm curious to see how that goes and and if he... Basel was his first tournament, Becker's first tournament, right? I believe so. It was recent. It was yeah. definitely this month. And it was, I mean, Rune was at least decent there. Oh, yeah, he he got he had some wins. He, yeah. been, he stopped the, right. the, the bleeding. Yeah. So that was, that was key. Um, yeah, it's, it's been interesting to see him. Defending the Paris title coming up, so yeah. that's a lot so of points he could, on the table. He could slip, he could slip for sure, but he's still in the race, it's just barely in there, um, and has had some good highlights. Uh, the next player in the rankings here who will more likely get into the Turin top eight is number seven currently, is Alexander Zverev, um, who is a decent-sized lead over Runa between seven and eight in the rankings there. You were saying, and you think he's had a good year. Uh, given the injury he had last year, obviously, and come back from that, losing to Mo with the Australian Open, completely agree with that. His his start to the year was Horrific. grim. Yeah. I mean, really grim, <laughs> losing uh, the way he did to Michael Mo, and just and also some bad losses at, at United Cup. But he played a very heavy schedule and stuck with it, and finally kind of got on and, and played a time more quantity than quality. I mean, he's only two and twelve against guys in the top ten this year, which is not good. And his only titles. We're in Hamburg, which is, you know, post-Wimbledon clay, and then Chengdu, which nobody else really showed up for. Um, and then, you know, and it's, you know. He had a couple of heartbreakers against Medvedev, though, that, like, one was in Miami. I know if he had won that match, he could have had a big yeah. result in Miami. And, and he's ranked so low that he's meeting, like, Medvedev and these guys, like, relatively early He in played Medvedev five times and lost yeah. four of them. He yeah. won in Cincinnati, um, but he lost the other four. Right. And, you he's, know. He's going to have better draws now that he's close to the top He will get again. better draws. I... Still find him hard to watch for many reasons. I, I just his game that something happened to his game during the pandemic. I think it was pandemic. It was a little earlier than that, but certainly it, it was clear from the twenty twenty U.S. Open, where he just became dedicated to this grinding way behind the baseline style that I just find so hard to watch for someone who shouldn't is, be doing that who, for a six, who, who, six six player six six player who has weapons or had weapons at least who could hit yeah. the ball um, and dictate and certainly the player who was talked about, you know, glowingly as a future number one and, and slam champ uh, in, you know, in his, in his youth, he did not play like that. And so he's been tough to watch on that front. And then obviously, again, this year, another Wolf made public, another accuser against him uh, is more recent ex-girlfriend, Brenda Patea. He's denied those charges. Again, those are being somewhere in the Berlin court system. I don't know what's actually the current status of that, but it's just, he's, he's, a, he's a feel bad presence on the tour. <laughs> I think it's fair to say uh, for me and others agree. Yeah. Sitsipas is the next one. The highest ranked of the disappointments, for sure, because I think everyone, he's number six, and he's almost certainly going to get into to Turin. It's not clinched yet, but he's... Especially based on where the year began, started with right, he started, he started. He started really well. He went won all his matches at United Cup for, for yeah. Greece, and then he uh, made it to the Australian Open final with an easy draw. I mean, he had a good win in the he beat, he fourth beat center round. In the fourth center round. fourth round. That was yeah. a good. That was a good. Win he was for him. he was owning center back then. Yeah, I don't he know was. if they've played since. I think uh, center maybe. Yeah, him I since can't then, remember. But, but, yeah, but he, he has a good, been a good matchup for him against center. Yeah, yeah. And then he beat Lahetchka and Hachinov, which is a really That's soft a path for quarters yeah. and semis of a slam, yeah. for sure. And then fallen off since then, and so he's a lot of points. He could definitely be out of the top ten if he has a bad Australia this year. 
Um, he's had some coaching in and outs with his dad coming and going, and Filipusa's coming and going. The and and some and some physical, like he had, yeah. he had some arm things. Like yeah. I remember this past off season, like there were rumors that he was going to be out for like the first half of the year. Yeah, there was, but, this, then he, but then he never was. Yeah, there was this talk about like how he's playing his elbow issue, and uh, so you know we should asterisk kind of all of his losses because of that. But like if you play this full of schedule, yeah, yeah, yeah. you don't get credit. Uh, sorry, you don't get to sort of asterisk stuff if you don't no. take breaks from the tour. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you know, he's, but he had some high points too. Um, I always kind of forget the high points, which is unfair to him, but, like, the low part, just, he's, he's, I just believe so much in his potential, like, because he's such a, again, he's in, better than Hercatch, talking about Hercatch as an athlete, Fitzpatrick is better. Oh, yeah. I mean, just yeah. the strength, the, the height, the build, everything, and the, the, the forehand is great, everything, it's just, like, the, the potential, the ceiling is so high, that seeing him not reach it is frustrating, and... I think especially the serve is one shot that I talk about a lot with Sitsipas that I think could be much better. Just like his serve is motion. He's always falling away from the serve. He hasn't put his, his full body into it. And we talk about how there's, you know, her catch is ace later. There's no one near him. Like there should be, guys like Sitsipas should be getting free points on serve. Like maybe it's not a popular thing to do to be a serve bot, but like it's effective and you should be winning more points on your serve in, in these in these days in tennis. So we get, yeah, he did have... You, you, you never know where Sitsipas is mentally too. He's a, he's a different kind of character. Oh, completely. <laughs> With uh, you know, he's into art and film, and obviously Sitsi Dosa. Sitsi Dosa, Sitsi Dosa, you know, it's this whole thing. You, you and, never know where his headspace is. You know, Sitsi Dosa. He talked about it sort of saying like, "There's more important things to life than tennis." He was right. saying a bunch around Sitsi Dosa, and that could be healthy for him if he's been too tunnel vision in his life, taking something to take a little bit of the the tunnel vision and pressure off. You know, to have this person there who's obviously also a driven, you know, elite athlete. It's not gonna, I can't imagine be a bad influence on his career from that front of being telling him to, you know, spend more time away from the tour or anything like that. I can't imagine Paul Bidoso would be like that. Um, so long as that relationship lasts, I mean, who knows? I don't know. But it's, uh, yeah, it's, it, it, I just, he's someone who just frustrates me because I, I believe so much in, in what I've seen from him as the possibility. I think the ceiling again is so high that I just, I wish it was more maximized. I just get the sense that it's not maximized. I feel like that's largely a coaching thing just in terms of not having the right voices in his ear. I'm not saying that's just about his dad. A lot of people are very quick to, Besides his dad as the problem, I don't know if it's the dad or, or a combination of tactics and his own thoughts and his own mind. Who knows? I've not talked to his dad enough about his own tactics for his son to know what Apostolos' philosophy on the game is. But it could be better. his dad's his only coach now, right? I believe or at so. Least only he always has kind of more talk with contingent around him, like some support staff from there. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know what the current status is or what it will be next year. But yeah, we had some good highlights. I mean, the win over Murray on center court was really good. Murray yeah, won that match, and it was up two sets yeah. to one. That was a great match. Since he lost to Eubanks in that tournament after, which was not a bad loss, we're saying Eubanks was, was unreal in that tournament, and Medvedev did very well to beat Eubanks in that quarterfinal. And then since he lost to Stricker at the U.S. Open, which Stricker wanted to dance with somebody. Great and, content. Yeah, great content. One of the last uh, tweets from, <laughs> retweets from the Ben Roth, the Murray account. <laughs> Again, I believe in him. I think I think he can be number one still. I think he can get there, but it's going to take the right kind of the right kind of transformation. And I don't see signs of that. Yet for him, certainly, I really not, don't. certainly not recently. Either. Nothing, nothing good signs. No, but we'll see. He's got one more chance at, in Paris and Nitto. I lost my notes here for the next guy. I for some reason my page is just blank that I printed out. But the next guy's Andre Rublev, and here we get into Rublev, um, who is qualified uh, for for turn already. No surprise there. Rublev is one of these tough five guys. I think all the five guys have had good, good years and great years and satisfying years. I would say. I mean, well, maybe you, I think you're going to quibble a bit with Medvedev. We'll get to that in a bit. Yeah, Rublev, you know, is becoming a very solid, predictable, reliable player on tour for better and worse. Like his his, his altitude is very clear. Like he's number five, and he's way ahead of number six for my in my mind of Sitsipas right now. Um, again, Sitsipas being so up and down and 
the Australia run being very far away at this point, and he's behind center, remarkably. He's number four now. Rublev is there, and he's as this crazy. It was oh nine in some quarterfinals now. Yeah, that he is. 0-9, yeah. Him and Pagula still have not made it to a, a semifinals, but all these quarterfinal Pugula, appearances. Pagula is almost even crazier for yeah. me. But obviously, she hasn't had nine like Rublev has. Yeah, and I think she's at six or seven, but still, it's it's a lot. Yeah, and yeah, Rublev, you know, he's, he's super popular. He's like the miscongeniality of the uh, of the Tories. Everyone likes him and thinks he's sweet if he's not winning the whole thing. He's, several of them are made a slam. You know, semi, obviously, as the, as the quarterfinal record implies. He got his first Masters title, though. That was big for him in, in, yeah, th- in I think Carlo. I think mentally the Masters that was is huge. big. Yeah. Even I mean, obviously, it's nothing like a slam, but I think it... It's a title. It, it's a big title. Yeah, it'll give him like a lot of confidence. It does, and it should. And I mean, he's like, you know, he's there in his window. He's still, you know, in his mid-20s. He's got time. To be there, I don't know like what his sort of slam will he win a slam someday? I don't know. I don't have confidence on that over or under for that. I I just think that that he's been you know a solid presence. At the same time, like I watch him, and it makes me sad that he is in so much turmoil on court emotionally. A lot of times, like you just seem this anguish is like not fake from him. Yeah. It's not performative. No, no, no. Like there's something going on there that I would like to see him happier in his life and on court. Um, but at the same time, he's also still super warm and well-liked, and he's in that Dimitrov category, and he does, obviously, we talked about many times, like, he is the star of all ATP social media right now, and all these quizzes they make him do, and he's adorable at it, and everyone everyone enjoys that. Um, and so he's a, he's a very interesting character in that way. Okay. But um, Ooh, that was a great, great yeah. person. Yeah, yeah. From all accounts, uh, he's... everyone gets But yeah, I feel like it's one of the, the, the quarterfinal things. I feel like once he makes it to a semi, which inevitably he's going to... Like, he might just win that tournament. You know, like, once he gets over the hump, like, so much the monkey off the back is going to be off to such an extent that, like, he could, depending on, like, who's in his way, like, if it's someone other than Djokovic, like, he just, like, just might go all the way. Yeah, totally. Let's get to number four, who is Yannick Sinner, who is really fulfilling some potential this year. Gets his first Masters title uh, in Canada. He also went a very loaded 500 that happened in Beijing where he beat... Alcaraz and Medvedev in the late round. Yeah, of that, that, tournament that felt win. like a Masters. On that that felt like a Masters yeah. event for sure, more than Shanghai did. Yeah. Honestly, a couple weeks later, these long Masters events are just not not a favorite. <laughs> like Shanghai just did not hold my attention at all as a tournament. Uh, Times zone didn't help, but uh, Beijing was a better tournament than Shanghai in every level. And I think the one week part matters a lot for that. The two week Masters, I know it's coming. I just don't don't love it. Reiterate. Do you feel like Justin Wells Miami should be that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Agreed. Agreed. And because those are like in a kind of like non-peak time in the calendar and shanghai's not the most offensive one to have it be but like it just dilutes things it's just like you don't need fewer matches a day it's bad for ticket holders you go buy a ticket to those tournaments you're seeing fewer matches in a day right it's all spaced out it's just like a cash grab yeah i'd rather have that one week and then like sophia and mets where it normally is rather yeah. than like push everything back yeah so. yeah so for me i'm not not into that yeah uh but center center's been been very solid and you know i've been so high on center since 2019 First saw him, obviously you were there too, Ricky, at the best match of the 2010s where he, he played a heartbreaker against Alex Bolt in the first round of women qualifying at Roehampton. Best match of the decade, you agree? Legendary. Yeah, completely. And he already played best match of this decade so far with uh, Carlos Alcaraz. For, for real. For real in the, <laughs> in the was, US Open. The other one was for the real too, but people, that one, right. this one was televised, so right. everyone can agree more more readily Fair. in their US Open quarter in 2022. Yeah, uh, Sinner is, is legit and, you know, hasn't, Broken. Th- he got to his first Masters, uh, sorry, Slam Semi at Wimbledon this year, which was a long time coming. Sort of, like still so young. You know, he's with Darren Cahill. That seems solid. Like I think he's trending the right way. No cause for concern. 
his next steps will not be easy for him to break through because the top three is all ahead of him meaningfully in Medvedev, Alcaraz, and Djokovic, I think. But he's right there, and yeah, everything's on course. And I think he's on course to stay being, you know, one of the best players of his generation for sure. Yeah, and so I, 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 I I'm very comfortable and happy with with Sinner. I wouldn't be surprised if he. I wouldn't be shocked if he breaks into the top three next year. With, oh, he went a slam. Likely ahead of Medvedev. Went a slam next year? I yeah. think that's totally possible. And he's been good against, like, the top three guys. He led Djokovic yeah. two sets of love at Wimbledon. He was he used to be 0-6 against Medvedev, and now he's won their last two. That's and great. then, obviously, center Alcaraz is, you know, the best rivalry of the post-Big 3 era. So, like, he's hanging with the very best guys in the world. You know who wants to see more matches between them? Medvedev. Yeah. More Alcaraz center matches. We all want it. <laughs> great. One of the great quotes of 2023. Let's get to Medvedev then just there. Cause he's again, this like very, you know, likable congenial presence on tour. Smart, smart guy talks like so articulate, so thoughtful, like interesting, curious, creative person. Like, he's never boring. All the sort of opportunities that are on tennis to be boring, have things be repetitive. Medvedev does not seem like he really takes that. He, you know, will play, is, is ready to sort of, complain or be honest about things especially in the, like a post-match interview he's always kind of on adrenaline and, and loaded and ready to go and i just think he's a great presence for, for the tour in that way he, and it's a lot of spice for he him. established himself as one of the most entertaining people at the 2019 us open and he has not disappointed ever since so yeah, that's completely high entertainment value you're completely right you were saying his year potentially is disappointing because of zero slams in the notes i you know i'm mixed because i did i did predictions for the year with sasha osmo and i did pick Medvedev to win the U.S. Open. They made finals and beat Alcaraz. So, like, I'm not mad. At, like, that's not, like, a bad result by any stretch. And the other two guys were so good. And there's only two other slam champs. And yeah. Djokovic got three and Alcaraz got one. It's tough to say, like, a, a failure or flop and Medvedev to not get one when it's so hard to get one. I think he'd take his year. I mean, because last year, you know, he got to number one, but then it really was, was bad and, and slipped out of top ten very briefly. I think he takes number three. I think he's very happy with this year. But, yeah, but he can it's get been, more. It's been very consistent. The clay was I, really I just, good from him, too. The clay was his best clay yeah. by far. I just think when you're that good, like you yeah. you want you want a slam. No, for sure. But but yeah, I mean it's it's definitely been consistent year for sure. Not, and not a disappointment, just disappointing that you know he didn't get a big one. Yeah. No, I think the same thing. I would say I would almost talk about his year the similar way that I would talk about Carlos Alcaraz's year. Alcaraz, which is again showing how how high the standards are for Alcaraz. Alcaraz finished last year number one, and he missed Australia. Um, people forget that. I think each if, when I talk about how just how I think that Australian Open was a really bad tournament, yeah, just like a bad yeah. tournament. No knock on Djokovic, who did everything he needed to to win, but it was very uninteresting. His path. Alcaraz was hurt. Nadal. Alcaraz was hurt. Got Nadal hurt got hurt early. Round. Medvedev was Lost not good. Yeah, so was not a good finalist. I mean, like, it was all like, yeah, it was not an interesting tournament. And Kyrgios wasn't there. He and Kyrgios, lots of entertainment value. That was he was a, he was a big part. Like of normally, it. the Australian Open's known for like having the most epic matches, you know, like Warwick and, and they did, but they were all Andy Murray in the first week. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The second week was like normally you wake up like in the United States, you wake up at three thirty and see some epics. Like this year, it was just like, the women's nothing. final of Australia. Rubakina yeah. Sabalenka was great, but that was like the only like and and actually Rubakina beating Shviantek, who was number one in the fourth round. That was like a really cool match. It was a Wimbledon champion who was underseeded, yeah. you know, like that was good. But the rest of the tournament did not deliver outside of Andy Murray. So yeah. rough for him. Anyway, that is to say Alcaraz has had some disappointments. Um, you know, uh, he had got the, the French Open semifinal, but he flames out of that. That was brutal. But he came right back and won Wimbledon, obviously. It's, that I match, that, just, that French match, though, because so that had the makings crushing. of a classic. Oh, my before. God. That was so disappointing. That, that was, again, that tournament also, the end of that was sort of a, sort of a wah, wah, ending. 
that term because Rude obviously was not going to be much competition in the final and wasn't much competition in the final. And then, yeah, the way that match deflated so completely but also had a long way to go still. It was, like, because best of five, and it's, like, if one guy's already, like, dead on the canvas and there's still two sets to play. So <laughs> well, what it was, like, we... the 2022 final also. Yeah, <laughs> so what, what are we doing here? Yeah. So, so, yeah, so that was not great. But, so, you know, Alcaraz, his year was not as good as his 2022 uh, probably. But at the same time, it's, you can't knock winning right. Wimbledon. Win. Beating Wimbledon if, if and, you, and over Djokovic in that final and Djokovic had not lost there in you, so long. If you win Wimbledon and beat the perceived GOAT yeah. in the final, it's a Certainly it's the a, recent it's a Wimbledon good, GOAT, too. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a good year by, by anyone's metrics. Not amazing, amazing year. Like, yeah. they're, but, but certainly, you have to take it. You would sign for this year any, any time. Yeah. I still contend that his... Uh, his loss to Fabian Maroshan at yeah. Rome is one of the most shocking tennis results of the decade. Yeah. Like, it's... Because he just won Madrid, too. He was, like, in great form, and no one knew who this guy was at all. But, well, I mean, on paper, yes. But I feel like winning Madrid doesn't really help you when Rome is the... No, but it wasn't even the after. first round. It wasn't the first round of Rome. It wasn't like he got there and he was tired. He'd already won had, a round or two. So he had a bye and then had one... He had, one, he had one, one, match, at least one match, one or two matches. I think it was maybe just one match. But anyway, yeah. and Maroshan was, again, so off the grid. It's like yeah. no one, like... You know, anyway, and Marjan, Marjan, and Alcaraz wasn't even awful in that match. Marjan I'm not sure I'd ever played. heard of Marjan. No. And I, like, follow the Challenger Tour, like, yeah. relatively closely. Yeah. So I know most guys in the top 200. No, I, I don't not, think I'd ever heard seen, of Marjan. I have not seen that name yeah. since then, obviously. I think he's gotten... He's, yeah, he's been pretty good since. Yeah, he's had a solid fall, yeah. uh, for sure. All right, and now let's get to number one. Not Fabio Marjan <laughs> yet, uh, but Novak Djokovic, who is the only guy in the top 16 who's even 28 or older, and he's 36. Yeah. No one in the top 30. It, it kind of speaks to the gap, this gap that came with, like, the Nisha Corey, Ronich, you know, Timitrov generation, and the people after them also were not very strong, like Lucas Puy, that kind of generation is all not there. So there's this whole cohort that's missing, and Djokovic is the only one kind of keeping it hanging on. Otherwise, it would be all, you know, Medvedev is the oldest player on the top of the game, which yeah. would be crazy. It's like where Delpo should be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or double is even older than that currently, but yeah, yeah, but even guys who, yeah, there's no one really in there. It's like it's like the Puig generation. I guess Chilich like was sort of. Or Chilich, Chilich is older Delta. too. Yeah. Those guys are older too. I'm talking, those guys were born in the 80s. I'm talking about yeah. guys like born between a team. Team would be in there. Team yeah. is someone who's missing from this. Like anyway, that kind of generation of guys who are like 29, 30, 31 right now. There's none of them in the top 30. Yeah. In that age range, which is supposed to be like your prime theoretically right. in men's tennis, and they're not there. But Djokovic has been obviously very, very good this year. It was only one match short, one set short of winning all four Grand Slams. Uh, you know, was that Wimbledon fifth set? He's got to be totally satisfied Although, this year. I mean, you never know because the pressure. Oh no, 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 no I'm not saying ca- I didn't different. take calendar slam. Not calendar okay, slam. Okay, is yeah, 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 it's a different thing. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not giving him that. But, yeah. but yeah, but certainly he was only he only lost one match at a, at a, right. at a slam this year, and it was in a fifth set yeah. in the final. So, you know, it's a question of like how many more, like. He's at 24, which is the the men's record, uh, women's open era record already for for single slams. How many more does he have in him? What is can he repeat this with winning two or three slams again in 2024? You're shrugging and saying nodding, and I'm the same way. Like why not? Yeah, like yeah, why not? Like, you know, Alcaraz and Medvedev are there, but they're not ahead of him. Tennis wise, there's no reason why he can't. Like it's just a question of motivation. Like and physical. How, and if you get some injuries yeah. finally in his late 30s. Yeah. He's been so healthy recently. Though. Yeah, like there's no reason to think he will. He's, he's like the most like flexible, fit guy on tour. And like, you never, I mean, I can, you never. I, you know, not right, at the, at you, age, you know, not. It can come quickly. Know. You never know. Right. Like you know, Federer was on top of everything, and then like ran a bath tub. You know, turned it right. on, turned the wrong way with his daughters, and yeah. never was. The but same it, it would take 
it would take something you can't predict, right, either exactly. a fluke injury or a lack of motivation. Like he's, if he just becomes content with winning twenty five or twenty six, like ten, tennis wise, yeah, tennis wise, he's still, I think, clearly the best. But the records still motivate him, and I know there was right. a, there was, yeah, that, there was a, that talk that like there was the stupid non controversy or stupid controversy that got drummed up on on tennis social media, which I don't think is in a great place right now. You know, where people are like, oh, Nadal says Djokovic is motivated by records, like okay. like that seems like a dirty thing. It was like he is clearly. And that's normal and right, fine. Yeah. And like part of playing the sport, you want to play the sport. And when you're in the twenties, you want to be motivated. Like it's, I don't think Nadal meant it as like a outright dig. Yeah. He's saying it's a difference between them. And you could say that Nadal's not being honest about himself. I mean, you don't go that far into double digits at French Open and slam totals without really wanting to, Rafa. Um, but you know, Djokovic has that motivation, and I think wants to be goat, greatest of all time. And so why yeah. not pad the lead? You know, if not that even anyone who's born born yet is potentially even your competitor, but for the all-time record books, yeah. if you think you can get to 30 and, you know, increase your distance from the theoretical future challengers, I mean, why not? Like, go for it. Yeah, um, yeah I, I think he... I, would be, I think he's going to win at least one slam next year. Very cautious. You know, definitely favorite for Australia. But at the same time, like, I do think there is a time when, in your late 30s, when things catch up with you. And certainly we saw this, like, with Serena, for example. Serena was on top of the world winning... 2017 Australian Open. Obviously, Djokovic is not pregnant. Uh, Serena was, uh, but you know, but like, but there was a time when she came back and she got close, but didn't quite have that edge anymore, right? And so you don't know. Best of five is different too, because Djokovic is such a freakingly masterful player at best of five. It's like just such a huge hurdle that guys aren't clearing. Like, and he's such a master of that format, particularly that he has a lot of margin in a lot of ways. But at the same time, yeah, I just, I just don't. I don't believe that the well is endless when you're going to be turning 37 midway through, you know, around the start of the French Open next year, right? Like, at some point, it's going to catch up with him, but not yet. Um, I know your question on the sheet is, would you take him to finish the year number one next in year. 2024? Yeah. Um, what would you answer? My, my opinion is that, like, if you're offering me Djokovic or the field, like, everyone, I would take the field. But if you're offering, like... If you say, like, do you think Djokovic is going to finish number one, I would, like, compared to any other single compared player, I would be like, yeah, yeah, like, I would pick, like, I, like, I always do a year-end prediction at the start of every year, and Djokovic is probably going to be my year-end number one in 2024. But again, like, if you gave me the field, I would take the field. So it's not, like, overwhelmingly yes, but I think you have to consider him the favorite to be a, one, one more year on top, I think. Yeah, definitely. Uh, that is not that Djokovic, he is still the guy. And he seems to, I think, it seems like things have settled for him. Certainly COVID's not an issue anymore. Vaccines are not an issue anymore on, in, the, in the tour. Um, so that storm he has weathered, which did meaningfully affect his slam count. Like, he would have almost certainly won, you know, one of yeah. those one of those slams he missed um, uh, in Australia or the U.S. last year. I guess it was just those two he wound up missing in the end. But meaningful, obviously, uh, for him. And he's rebounded well from that. Okay, let's talk about some of the guys who are their notable names who are not in this top 17 we want to touch on. We saw him today, or you saw him today, this match. I didn't watch this match, actually. But Andy Murray, um, who lost <laughs> to Demonard to go 0-4 against him this year. 0-6 overall. It's interesting trying to make sense of Andy Murray. And it's not quite like... I think people... The question of what you do with these like all-time greats and these like beloved... Not that all, not he's like a GOAT conversation, Murray, but like a Hall of Famer, for sure. A legend of, you know, British... Oh, pro... Best British pro ever in tennis what you sort of do when they're not at their best and this is like an extreme example of this is like venus williams 
who is so far from, you know, being her best in her recent performances that, like, people don't talk about her current level bluntly and honestly a lot of times because they don't think it's, like, rude or disrespectful to her or whatever, um, which I, I understand that. And I, you know, and then she did have some moments too, so she beat Kuda Matova, who's a top 20 player in Cincinnati. And then she got killed at the U.S. Open by, uh, uh, who was it, by um, uh, a Greek Minin. So just like the highs and highs, whatever. So Venus is a different thing. But like Andy, I talk about the same way. Andy gets this deference. He'll talk about it, right? But at the same time, Andy is still hungry. And Andy cannot be happy with what he's feeding on uh, in this era of his career. You know, he hasn't gotten back to the top 30 or 20, uh, I don't think, since his, his thing. He hasn't gotten into, yeah, this, into the... 30, I don't think. He has not reached the fourth round of a Grand Slam since his hip resurfacing. And he's played a bunch of Grand Slams. He's played, what, let me look at this map here. I think 10... Uh, no, 12 Grand Slams uh, in that time without me reaching. And he's only gotten to the third round Third round three times, times yeah. I think, yeah. And, and so, you know, bluntly he said he's sort of not enjoying this. And it's a question of, like, how... <laughs> you can tell on the court. He's, yeah. He's been even more it's more, a, more Murray than usual. But it's a question of, like, how much does he how much does he have? And I don't know that there's really sign. Honestly, again, he's turning 37 next year, too. I don't know there's a sign that's going to get better for Murray. Yeah. He might have... He might have... What he's doing still with a metal hip is amazing, to be yeah. clear. Like, this is not, this is, and that's why people are so generous to him a lot of times. But the facts, the cold results on paper show are not kind to him yeah. and are not up to his standards. And you wonder just like how much does he have the appetite for this? And again, I, we mentioned it earlier because he's been that compelling. He was the star of the Australian Open first week easily, probably overall tournament men's side. He was the guy, like, yeah. he was the story of that tournament just because of how compelling he is and was and everything. And that Berrettini match also first round and then Kalkanakis and. Piece that was an unreal, unreal three match run. Yeah, uh, from him. So, but yeah, that, I, but I, that's the thing. Like, I feel like he's so freaking close. Like, yeah, all like he's had so many losses. Like, obviously at the AO and then Sitsy at the French Open. Or I mean, Wimbledon, at, Wimbledon. at Wimbledon, yeah. He, obviously, Murray didn't play the French Open. Two, and then so, all two close Sitsy matches. U.S. Open Sitsy too. Right. Yeah. Toilet match. And then every demon match has been like you know, m- matches that he should have won. Yeah. Like if he was getting wiped off the court by these guys, he. I think he might like reassess where his career is going, but he's like so close to it's, having a lot of good results. It's better, not totally unlike, but it's it's not one one. I don't even know if anyone cares about this reference, but Leighton Hewitt, Leighton's career is kind of like this too, where Leighton would play like a lot of epics yeah. and lose all of them. Yeah, like all of them he lost, and it, it slammed. He would like lose fifth set to all sorts of people, but it would be like an epic, you know, classic Hewitt effort. But he would always right. be the loser. Yeah, <laughs> and Murray is not quite because Murray has had some wins, certainly the Berrettini win, the Kalkanakis win and made a, you know, a couple of tour finals and stuff in, in the last few years. Yeah. It's, it's, it's tough. And I, I, you know, I don't begrudge him at all. If he want if he says enough, I, I, if he wants to keep going great. Cause he has had some high moments too. That's the thing. Like he, he won what back to back challengers or two fifties, whatever it was and and or challengers on grass yeah. uh, this year on, on in Surbiton and Nottingham. I think they were in the UK before going, uh, losing the demon on uh, Queens club. Yeah. He's, it's just tough. It's like, again, like, I think, I think he would want to look this year at seeing, I think next year, meaningfully, it's another Olympic year also. He's a two-time Olympic champion. If he, he would get into Olympics. See, that's the thing. He's like ranking, like, he's ranked 40th, I think now. Like, he's like making money. He's yeah. not like, he's Close not. Close to being I, seated at the Slams. Yeah. A lot. It's like, he's not quite as doing as well, but not totally dissimilar to like an Azarenka, who's another former number one who's kind of hovering, like, in the 20s, I think, around 20, 20, somewhere between 15 and 30 at any given time. And, like, again, who's, like, the upside. And she's had a couple decent slam runs, better slam runs. And she made a semi of Australia this year. 
but like she's not contending for slams yeah. and she's still considered like oh she's gonna give a good battle but she's not winning almost any of those major battles anymore so you just kind of wonder and with her you know she's made less money for sure in her career and endorsement stuff than andy has so, and she wants to keep working for those reasons which is totally fair yeah so it's just interesting to see yeah. where i mean i hope i hope murray keeps going he's good entertainment value oh. on it on and off the court and he's such a he's such a he's so so much to teach these players i hope he actually sits down with them and men and women's players about being an ambassador for the tour. Yes, absolutely. Like he yeah. does the promo. He's like doing all these things. He's like grateful. He's like a good citizen. He pulls his way. He tries to sell the product and the tour. And it's way that I feel like the younger generation. I feel like the whining. Is, I feel like I'm getting crotchety and get off my lawnish here. But like, the, there's a degree of whining and complaining, whether it's the balls or whatever's going on in Cancun, that like I just don't think it's helpful to the product of tennis. And right. like, keep those things. Bit tighter and i wonder i don't know how much that's ptpa trying to foment like poke prodding these players into being more openly complaining and dissatisfied to try to weaken leadership i don't know but something's going on and murray is not about it yeah murray would not stay so that kind of stuff no <laughs> um yeah other players coming back and did a quick run to some players who were not big factors in 2023 to see if they could do anything in 2024 murray's one of them um murray i don't see him having a better 2024 honestly but he could make he certainly makes it australia quarter he's only make australia quarter i totally would believe that I guess or, I think he's or, been close. Or Wimbledon. Yeah, he's been so close. So like yeah. he he should have made a quarter or a semi in this stretch. Yeah. It's just tough that he hasn't. Yeah. It's tough. Sports are hard. Uh, Dominic Team is the next one I'm gonna get to. Dominic Team we mentioned is sort of the, the guy of the generation that's missing right now. The whole generation is missing really in the top of the sport. He's ranked ninety nine. Uh and he's been kind of thereabouts this year. The comeback just has not clicked for team on a no, basic no. level. And I like Murray wonder like if he has another year where he's not getting it, I don't know how much more he hangs on because he's someone who is clearly not happy with that standard. I last year actually, twenty twenty two, I wanted to interview Team a bunch of times to do it for Racket Magazine newsletter thing, and he kept losing like these like brutal losses all the time. Like he was never like in a good enough like headspace to like sit down and talk. And I I wasn't like pushing for it. I was like I got it. But I was like ugh, it's just like really not working for Team this this situation. Um, so yeah. I'm not I'm not giving up yet. No, because he's Cause still... He's still... Yeah, 30 is still young enough by tennis standards. Yeah. But it's the, the game has not been there, though. No. No, the forehand's been a disaster. But Yeah. I mean, I, and credit to... It's a very different injury, obviously. But, like, Zverev's comeback has been much more successful uh, than teams. Uh, yeah, very, di- very different injury. I think it's maybe a huge part of that. One person we, who's nowhere near as low as, as, as Murray and Felix... Uh, sorry, Murray and team and just won a title, actually, a couple days ago. Or one day ago... Uh, Felix Ojeale Seem, who made it to Turin last year and is currently 29 in the race, even with this Basel title. Um, so he's missing it by a lot. It's rough. Um, but he won Basel, which will kind of stop the bleeding on the ranking a bit. Felix, I, oof, I, it's been, it's been hard. Like he just looks so vacant when he, when I've seen him play this year a lot of times. Like he, he's always, I've always felt with Felix, there's some edge that's not there, some sort of, you know, like mentally. Yeah, just sort of some sort of some sort of or mental like edge or like instinct. killer instinct or like teeth, yeah. something whatever you call it, like the uh, about the you know the sort of Maddie Morphe says uh, that's not there for yeah for for Felix. I still don't think it's there. Like I was at his match in Washington where he lost to Watanuki, and Watanuki just had way more swagger than Felix. And like, uh, what, 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 Watanuki does. I'm sorry. I like Watanuki He's a very lot. Enjoyable. <laughs> I like Watanuki a lot. And that's not like a knock, but like also on rankings, yeah. that match should not be close. But I also went in that match being like, well, I knew he can win this. And yeah, he yeah, did. Yeah. Um, so 
Felix, I it's just, just so frustrating because Felix, he's always had quote unquote like number one potential like ever since he was like fourteen, and like he just never. Again, it's kind of like a Sitsipas thing where I think that the 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 actual the body and the shots are like good. Yeah. But just for him, it's just like for him, I the think athlete, it really... the athleticism is close to the top. Yeah, but I just think for him, it's really that edge. I think it's really that sort of like being able because there's so many players like if you mixed in, gave some of I don't even know who's in this category in this in this group, but like I don't know. Even lots of players who are just sort of better scrapper players with with uh, with Felix's physical gifts, they'd be great. And just yeah, I just think Felix is it just sort of stalled a bit, and and hopefully it's time in the offseason to regroup and get a team around and that helps him get there because yeah. it's been a bad. I mean, year. Basel Basel could save him. I mean, it'll keep him seated at the Australian Open, and hopefully the rest of the slams moving forward. Like he's not completely falling off the map now. I don't I don't have my uh, Twitter access with me right now, but we did get a question about the Canadians and from one listener who did answer, uh, respond to ACR. Yeah, and Chapo too. Chapo's been hurt though. Yeah. I mean, Chapo's been different, uh, but it's been a rough year for Canadians overall. Ronich actually had except for Galar now. Let's just Galar has been good. Yeah, uh, Ronich actually came back and played okay for a bit, so that was nice to see. But yeah, Andrescu's had a rough year too, or just yeah, a disappointing true. year in a lot of ways. Layla's starting to play better. Layla is doing better for sure, but yeah, but still Canadians who were the talk of the town very recently kind of fallen off a bit there. One person who's fallen off a lot. I want to get to um, who's again watching Breakpoint. A huge story, second half of 2022 in men's tennis. The story, in a lot of ways, was Nick Kyrgios, who made the final of Wimbledon. Um, also had, again, a domestic violence uh, charge got brought up there, which I actually thought the show handled okay. I hadn't seen this before. I thought that the mention of it, they didn't, no one really reacted to it, but at least they mentioned it, which I wasn't sure they were going to do. He pled guilty to that in the end, and they played that down, and they got dismissed. He's played only once this year. Uh, after playing a lot of EXOs and taking a lot of EXO money, chasing that late last year, he played only once this year, losing to Wu Yibing in Stuttgart, which was supposed to be his grass court comeback. He didn't play after that. Didn't play Wimbledon. He's very frustrating in a lot of ways. Watching Breakpoint, there are times I just want to like yell at him, honestly, because he just says things that just go unchallenged that I want to challenge. Um, but you know, he but he was such a relevant player competitively last year, making the Wimbledon final. Although he had some help in the draw for sure, be, you know. Garen and then walk over in the last two matches to get to the final. Yeah, it was pretty, yeah. pretty generous. But it, U.S. Open, I thought he could have won that tournament. I mean, once he beat Medvedev and the draw was what it was, he lost to Hotchinoff in the quarters and then would have played Rude and would have played Alcaraz. I think he can win all his matches. Yeah. So, anyway, what if he if he's healthy? And that's a big if because I don't really get a great sense of what his physical state is right now. Um, if he's healthy, that's such a that's the if right. of the yeah. question. But like. I but there's think there, so many. I think there's room for him in this in the top of the sport if he if he's at his 2022 level. Yes. There's so many ifs because so many because, ifs because him, yeah. mentally too like yeah. you just don't know how much he wants it. Like he he hates leaving Australia so much. Like again, this is frustrating about him because like he has, he says these things are just nonsense. Where he like he was talk, I was mentioning today like he's, he's talking last year about how he's going to play Paris and uh, French Open in 2023 because his girlfriend wants to go to Paris, but he skipped Bercy. <laughs> it makes no like, sense. What are we talking? Like, it's just, it's, 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 it's you know, it's, ugh. so it's frustrating, but he is, was a huge factor in the tour. He just disappeared. Yeah. And so that's, that's notable. And he was a, a big, big presence. And there is a bit of a, uh, it's such a bizarrely different, unique flavor on tour that like, you almost don't notice when he's gone because it's like business as usual yeah. in a certain way because he's so unusual. But yeah, anyway, because he'd also never been top 10. It wasn't like he made rankings dense anyway. Anyway. And he probably never will be because he's like, I don't think he's ever going to play enough to have like a consistently good ranking. Yeah. But he also doesn't have to because yeah, he can make his mark at 
you know, couple, just a couple tournaments. The player, so Kyrgios was kind of the defining player in a lot of ways, the second two Grand Slams of, of 2022. The first uh, part of that, uh, the slam year in the men's side, Blanche at all. He won in Australia and the French Open, and this unreal year, kind of semi out of nowhere, after trending down for sure, uh, to come back and win Australia the way he did, and only the second time winning there after many, many close calls. Completed the double career Grand Slam. Finally. Yeah, exactly. Winning the French Open for many 14th time. Yep. Uh, less surprising, but still emphatic fashion, being Djokovic in that quarter. Uh, he he has not played since Australian Open, where he got injured in his second round match against Mackie McDonald. Uh, the latest, he finished that match, the latest of a string of bizarre losses he's taken uh, since Wimbledon, his withdrawal. Uh, against Taylor Fritz, he's lost to every American. It TFO. seems like TFO, Fritz, Tom Paul, yeah. McDonald, like all these Americans who never would have. And he had been so good against Americans, like the stats, like his record against Americans was like, he only ever lost three times. And he lost five times in like three months or something <laughs> ridiculous. He, you know, I don't know what his status is. I just wanted to point out again, Craig, I was not on Twitter. Craig Tiley's the only oh person who knows God. what the status I was is. Wanted, like, I, I wanted to get back on Twitter specifically to scream about this. I, I, it drives I, I, me, I tweeted about that. It drives me so nuts. Right. What is Craig Tiley doing? Like, Craig Tiley doesn't get this scrutiny at all from the Australian media about like what is like there's no need to be because anyway so those we haven't talked about what actually happened I'm sure you've heard it in the last few weeks but like he said like oh Rafa's definitely coming back we're looking forward to having him here he'll be here and Rafa's like whoa slow down like right. I appreciate your optimism but I don't know and he, and he does this all the time yeah he's been wrong predicting like oh Serena's definitely coming back in Australia no she's not <laughs> oh Federer's definitely coming back no Andy Murray will be back no and like the risk reward for this is so awful. What you're a grand slam. Yeah. You don't need to be like lying. Or I think that's the right word to use about the guaranteed nature of your of the every you know, long shot player showing up. Yeah. Just be happy with what you get and move on. Like I think it's crazy to me. Yeah. It's so crazy the, what, and baffling. Yeah. What I tweeted when that happened was like, you can't guarantee like what is going to happen tomorrow or like what no. player is going to show up for the tournament the next week. Like, anytime what, you do, buy like t- what are you doing talking about a tournament five months from now? Anytime you buy tickets to an event to, and this was like concerts or shows or Broadway plays, or whatever, and certainly right. like sporting events, it always says like some like fine print lineup subject to change. Yeah. Like you just don't know. Certainly in tennis, it's the whole, <laughs> one of the worst things about tennis as a product is that you buy tickets having no idea who you're going to see. Yeah. Especially if you're buying like, or how much you're going to see, you could be right. there for an hour. You could be in there for eight hours. <laughs> right. And you could, and you, you know, like I had, I, Andrew Eccles was on the podcast during US Open for one of our daily shows there. And he just, cause he got tickets to one day of the tournament. It was like, he happened to be happy with who he got and his, what was it like day four or day three night session? Right. Like you yeah. don't know who yeah. it's going to be like at all in, until 24 hours out. So what Craig Tiley is doing, I have no idea. I hope he's right, but I'm not getting overly optimistic. So let's, let's shift. <laughs> Reeling is Tiley. What do we think about Rafa in 2024? He's hitting his video of him hitting. Um, so that's something. It's not like Simona Halep lost hope hitting, but he's hitting. What would you, you're obviously a big Nadal admirer. Those of you who don't know, it's very clear. What do you think? What are your expectations and hopes for Rafa in twenty twenty four? I mean, I don't, I don't have any expectations. Like, I mean, it would be nice, obviously, not only for Nadal fans, but like tennis in general, if he comes back and is relevant. But I think the smart money would be on him, certainly not winning a slam and probably not even getting to a slam final. I think if he just stays, I think if he plays like three out of the four grand slams that would be a success like regardless of what his results are 
if he plays four out of four, that would be like, I'm certainly not expecting that, that but that would be very good. But again, if he plays all four, that means he's healthy and probably he's going to have a couple good results in there. But you know, I think the French Open is the one where he has obviously any remote chance, but even that I don't think is great. Rafa has been pretty consistent in his career of not playing when not at his best. Yeah. Like, if when in doubt, he's out. Like, he doesn't try to show up and just make a good run to the second round. That's not something that ever has appealed to him, for better and worse. I think there's been times, and a lot of his pullouts of slams, and only he knows his health fully, but a lot of his, like, pullouts of slams is when he's had a bad loss somewhere, like to Rosal, who obviously missed the rest of that year. He wants to play when he's able to do himself justice, is his thing. And that's totally fine. It's his prerogative to make his own standards for himself. But yeah, he's not going to come back if he doesn't think he can be uh, a respectable representation of Rafael Nadal. And that means, potentially, it's possible he might never come back. Yeah, I was going to say, and I was going to ask you your opinion on this, I think he has, I think there's a better chance he never plays another match than there is of him winning another slam. Ooh. Yeah, it's tough to know because, like, I've just, betting against Rafa has proven so bad over the years, and certainly 2022, and that's not that long ago, and the field is not so amazing that he couldn't, I can't imagine, but... Gosh, like just seeing him like limping at that trophy shoot for the for the French Open the next day, I was like, "What is going on here?" Yeah. And obviously, he played Wimbledon made semis after that, but yeah, I I don't know. Like I he's what he was saying about not being driven by records. Like I hope that just is his way of saying he's content. He should be content. He's amazing. All these guys should be content. Everybody who we mentioned on this on this list for the most part should be content with their career. Like. Rafa's done so much. He has nothing to prove. Doesn't yeah. need anything. He did lacks nothing. Who cares if you're an Nadal fan? If if Djokovic is ahead of him in slams, like your guy still was amazing for a lot of years and represented himself and, and gave you a lot of joy and, and accomplishment and stuff. And I think people are at peace with that um, too. Uh, and and yeah, like yeah, I I, I I I don't I don't I just hope that he's what what kind of like made me uneasy during the twenty twenty two French Open or that's that run with like all the injections and stuff and the operations right. and everything. It's like, yeah. why are you like, like long term? Like, why are term. you like yeah. yeah? Why are you like flying so close to the sun? Like for number fourteen, like yeah. you have enough. Be you know be and it's not easy. Obviously, it's for someone with his hunger and his tenacity is obviously famous for to be satisfied. But he's going to have to be at some point and actually say... I'm also not going to no react mass. to, like, any, like, training videos. Like, anyone can show a video of themselves, like, hitting a couple forehands. Yeah. It's like Aaron Rodgers, like, showing videos of himself, like, <laughs> throwing a couple of passes and taking one step, like, a month after the Achilles surgery. Like, he's not about to come back and play this year. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's freaking out about it. Yeah. But, yeah, so Nadal's still got got a ways to go. Anything else uh, you're looking forward to for, for this next year in, in tennis? I think it should be... I think... Like I think that top five is good, and I think I think the Alcaraz we didn't mention this really directly, but the Alcaraz Djokovic rivalry, such as it is, has a lot of promise. Yeah. And I think Alcaraz versus honestly the rest of the top four, uh, you know, Sinner and Medvedev too. Those are great yeah, matches. Sinner, Medvedev, and, Sinner, and, Alcaraz, and Djokovic, Medvedev, Djokovic, yeah. Medvedev. I, the US Open final I didn't think was that fun. Honestly, I did not, it was not an enjoyable match to watch yeah. matchup wise for me. But certainly Djokovic versus Sinner, I want to see more of. I would like to see more of Djokovic versus Alcaraz. Djokovic Alcaraz, yeah, it's a sort of passing the torch, but it can be a prolonged thing, hopefully for a couple more years. They can be still tussling over it, and that'd be great for for entertainment. Yeah. A couple more semifinals between them. Oh, and I, Australian Open final between them, like sign me up immediately. Yeah, every year, like one of my going into every year, like my highest priority is like variable Slam champions, like like multiple different ones, like not just because it's like Djokovic winning all of them. And, you know, some people are getting tired of that. Like I always like different Slam champions. Yeah. Like, 
every year I want a different person to win all four. So, like, I would love it if, like, the four Slam champions are, like, Sinner, Medvedev, Rublev, and Alcaraz or something look, like that. Look, I started, the, I started this episode by lighting a candle in hopes that Grigor could win the Australian yeah, yeah, Open. Yeah, Grigor. And I just think that men's tennis could so clearly benefit from that on some level of getting some result that was unexpected at some level. We haven't had that in men's tennis since first Favrinka slam, probably. That was a genuinely, and he was top 10 already by the time he won that slam, but like he was not someone who was the clear pick. He kind of bulldozed his way to it. And to me, that was really reinvigorating for, for this, for the sport of men's tennis. And so mm-hmm. I think that there is room for that in this current crop for sure to get somebody, even like a Rublev could even, if Rublev yeah. was Australia, that would count as it. Even almost anyone we mentioned before him in the show, even Tsitsipas at this point, yeah. like, that would be sort of like, oh, wow, okay, this is a new look, fresh thing. Because, yes, Djokovic obviously, in respect what he does, but still at the same time, like, Djokovic winning Australia, by definition, is not, it's yeah. not, not to say it's not impressive, but it's not interesting, yeah. because he's done it so many times. So. And selfishly, I would like an American man, obviously, to break through. But I that think, can happen, too. But I think, I think the most likely chances are Shelton and then... Corda, who we didn't talk about, yeah. and I think they're probably at least a year or two away. But you also Corda's had, inter- had an interesting year. He's been yeah. very up and down. Well, he was out for a long time. With I know the wrist injury. He in always Australia. is out. He's out a lot, a lot yeah. often. But talent wise, I think like he he would be my second pick behind Shelton to eventually win one. I just don't think, I just don't think in twenty twenty four. Yeah. All right, that was the show. Thank you, Ricky, for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Always good. Uh, always good to be here and wrap up the ATP calendar. And we'll be back some some sort of women's centric show. I imagine to balance this out. Uh, in a few weeks, and we'll definitely also talk about 2024. Probably, I mean, I'm going to be in Australia. Book, I mean, not plug the book. My God, my book, biography, Naomi Osaka, her journey to finding her power and her voice, coming out January 9th. You can pre-order in the U.S. and Australia. Certainly already to order. Please do. Um, if you want me to sign it, I'm happy to accommodate that. If you want to buy them in advance, it's an easy way to do that. If you're I have some people message about that. Happy to, to arrange those. Uh, Ricky has his. A galley copy. I do. It's not signed yet. Though. I will that, get that. I will, that needs to happen. I will sign, <laughs> sign it for sure. And the real copy you get eventually, also. Yeah. Um, and yes, that's available. People are. It's been great talking to a few people who've finished their advanced copies of reading it and have enjoyed it and talking about it after having this very like, very solo one way talking into the Word document or Google Doc, whatever it was, at different times uh, process. Hearing people who actually are on the other side of it reading it and and enjoying it and being interested in it and I want to have conversations about various parts of it has been. A very cool part of these last couple weeks of, of the book journey so hopefully you guys can do it um i started to say i'll be in australia when the book comes out uh and i'll show you there for naomi's also coming back to the tour and we'll be doing plan is to do daily or close to daily ncrs in australia if the australian open uh there so we'll talk about that uh as time approaches fast closer to then and see y'all soon bye folks thanks ricky thanks ben so no really it's nothing more than that why would i do this to this beautiful crowd in paris bercy <laughs>